Good evening, everyone. My, hello. Good evening. Hello. Oh, hello. Oh, the full. Yes, very good. We're working in profile at times. Uh, just for you, sir. Uh, good evening. My name is Leith McPherson, which is odd. So I start, I was gifted a name that would require clear enunciation for the rest of my life. Today, in fact, at lunchtime, this is, I'm not kidding, I know that, that comedians, which I'm not, will always say, you know what happened to me today? On the way, you know, and they're making it up. It happened in a notepad six years prior. But, but, um, today, literally, I was asking for a toasted sandwich at lunch. And they said, what's the name? And I said, Leith. Uh, it's L-E-I-T-H, and she nodded, and she was writing, and I finally got it back, and it was lymph. <laughs> lymph. How do you get lymph? I, I get Lisa all the time. I get Louise. I get Elise. How do you get... How? Lymph is a new low. It's a new low. So I don't know who I am this evening, but I, I may or may not be lymph. Thank you for joining me this evening. I'm here to share my passion for spoken voice, and it's a passion. I'm trying to keep it on the down low. I'm trying to stay reasonably normal, but it may slip out from time to time this evening. I may let my excitement bubble to the top, uh, and if I do, apologies in advance for exuberance. Um, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping that maybe you're here because you also have a passion for voice and a passion for expression, and a passion perhaps for speaking truth, your own or others. It's, um, it's always a confronting moment at passport control when you have to list your occupation. And um, I, I think breathing expert, um, actor coach, and I usually put dialect coach because that was the um, the most often the thing that I had to answer as I was moving between here and New Zealand, where I spent about four years, I know this is mentioned, so I'm bringing it up, um, working on the Hobbit films. Um, and so there was a lot of flying back and forth, and each time they'd say, dialect coach, what's that? And uh, I said, oh, I train actors to become other people and to find different voices with which to tell their stories. And you'd either get a choice or, oh, great, do Russian. Or, and, which is what happens at dinner parties. People want to play you like a jukebox. They just, oh, yeah, yeah, great. Do South African. No, no, Joburg, South Africa. No, 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 uh, Cape Town, South Africa. And you, uh, 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 do musicians just have to bring out their violin and, and play at every... I'm literally asking, do you have to... Yes, there's a yes, there's a confirmation over here. It's a burden we carry the artists of the world. So I'm thrilled that you're here. I had no idea who would come, um, but I'm hoping that together we will do a little work. Yes, a little bit of voice work, a little bit of physical work, nothing too scary. I'm seeing skirts and boots, and I'm in that house, so it's skirts and boots type work. Um, but we're going to start with the beginning and the end of all things, which is breathing. So you probably think you breathe quite well, and, and perhaps some of you already do. Um, I would like to fiddle around with your breathing just a touch. So if I may, I'm going to ask you to stand. You don't have to. All of these exercises, and again, that may be a strong word, are optional. So please feel free at any point to say, nah, 
I politely decline. Lymph. And you can take your seat. Oh, truly, I'm, I, I will carry that for a while. The scars. The scars. And I, I, the thing is, I, I speak it and I put my tongue through my teeth when I introduce myself so that people have that moment of just glancing down then glancing back up again. What should, oh, it's not Lisa. It's something, what's going on with, oh, Leith. But no, Leith. Um, good, so I'd like you to rest your hand on your belly. We're gonna deal with some very technical terms tonight. The first one is belly, all right? Not tummy, ooh, no, 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 that's patronizing. But belly, I think I can pass with belly. So as you stand there and as you're resting your hands on your belly, do you feel any movement as you breathe? I'm sensing some pros in the house who are going, yep, yep, good, I'm good. So can everyone feel a bit of movement as you breathe? Is there anyone who's not feeling any movement there? No, we're all, oh, good. Yes, a little bit of action. Action down here, good. So that's what we'd like. We'd like a bit of softness in the belly, which is not a socially acceptable thing to do, really. We got rid of the formal corsets and we created social corsets. So I'd like you to just unbutton that corset and allow yourself to be soft in the belly, particularly for the inhalation part of the breath cycle. But most people focus on the inhalation as the start of their breath. I'd actually like us to have a sense that we're going to work from the exhalation first. So taking your hands away from your belly, I, I invite you to join me for a moment. Where We've currently got our hands at about hip height. I'm saying this for the podcast, people who listen in later. <laughs> Doesn't work on radio. Gestures do not work on radio. So we've got our hands at about um, hip height and we've got our palms facing up. We're going to take... Apologies to the pros in the room. We're going to take a terrible breath. Terrible breath. And for those of you who, who are about to participate, you may like me less for a moment or two before we become firm friends again. So let's take a horrible breath up into your shoulders. Very high, very short, very fast. And then just let that go with a shrug. And again. One more. How do you feel after that? Tense. Tense. What else? I heard another word there. Awful. Awful. See, thought you'd like me less. Apologies. Good. So that is the place that we breathe for fight or flight or freeze. That is when we need to oxygenate very quickly. So when you're doing breath work and people begin with the inhalation, they're often over breathing. So you immediately put into your um, sense of uh, pre preparation for your speech or whatever you might be doing, they put anxiety into that system from the get-go. So I'd like us to try that one more time, if we could, and then I'm going to ask you to do something slightly different after we've done our shrug exhale. So let's take a breath in, let that go, turn the hands over, and keep breathing out. Good. So just come back up to what I'm going to call for our purposes, sea level. So from sea level, we're just going to breathe out. I don't want you to breathe in again. I just want you to breathe out. Let's do that on an F for Fred. And then just allow yourself to bounce back up to sea level with that nice soft belly. Yes, there's some good breath capacity in the room. And bounce back up. One more. 
Good, my hands have stopped shaking. That's a good sign. Good, have a seat, have a seat. So how do you feel after that kind of breath? Karma? Recovered. Recovered, oh good. Huzzah, oh good. Anything else? Bored, I would take. I really would. It should feel like it doesn't set off any kind of alarm system. This would have set off some kind of alarm system in you, unless that is your habitual breathing pattern. In which case, honey, we've got some work to do. Okay, we've got a little work to do there. So that idea of, and you can do this seated as well, high breath up into the shoulders, ooh, immediately makes me dizzy, and then let those shoulders go. The shoulders are absolute attention seekers in the voice world. They just, they've just got to be involved. Yeah, ready to go, yep, anything you need, I'm here, shoulders, I keep the entire spine up. Yes, you don't need them. They are passengers with this work. We don't need them at all. And once they become involved, all kinds of things start to happen in and around your larynx. All kinds of tension start to come into this process of simply expressing your true self, speaking your truth, speaking as calmly and as confidently with any audience as you do with your best and favorite audience. So the first thing I wanted to touch on is that idea that we may be over-breathing. So simply sitting there, let's just take a breath to an F. You'll feel that nice soft belly start to draw in towards your spine. You may or may not feel movement in your ribs as you do. I'm pretty unconcerned about where you feel the most movement, as long as it's not here, as long as it's not the upper chest and the shoulders. So as you sit there, we're just starting to shape that exhalation, traveling the path towards speech, traveling the path that ends in sharing a thought with your audience whoever that may be. So just as you sit there, let's go back to that lovely idea and I'll join you for a moment to see what sitting down is like. Oh, I quite like it, yes. Nice soft belly, just drawing your belly in towards your spine, just gently on an F and then just allow it to spring, spring back. This is how you get off the roller coaster of anxiety. So if you find that you are suddenly, perhaps inexplicably feeling just a little bit like you've done three of those in a row, you can get off that, not by having to talk yourself out of it, by mimicking the way that you breathe, well, not mimicking, by breathing the way that you do when you're calm. And because the body is incredibly suggestible, if you, <sighs> tell the body that something's going on. He says, must be, oh, there must be some kind of danger outside of it. Oh, I better, oh, I'm getting on that train. Yes, let me help you. Oh. And it just starts to subscribe to that suggestion so quickly. That same response mechanism you can use to de-escalate a state of feeling just a little bit, I don't know, a little bit disturbed, a little bit anxious, a little bit uncomfortable. So you can suggest to the body that you're fine. And as you stand at a lectern or stand up to speak in your local church or tell your weight person that actually the stake is overdone, which we're not good at doing in this culture. We're not good at speaking up for ourselves. We're used to not complaining, 
not, you know, I don't want to make a fuss. Uh, let's just, no, no, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. She'll be right. No worries. To actually stand up and assert yourself can feel like a very confronting thing. Who here in the room, if I may ask, is happy to say, nope, steak's overdone. Nope, no problem. Very happy to, yes, I will. Yes, we've got a couple. Yes, you assert yourself easily, freely. For whom does that feel like the scariest possible thing they could do? Anyone? Yeah? I got, a, I, I got a pie at the MCG that was frozen in the middle. Did I take it back? No, 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 no. McPherson's don't do that. We don't do that. We do not do that. No? So, so there's always a bit of a spread, but there will be a moment where you are called upon to speak for yourself, to assert yourself, to take your space in the world. And it's not something that we do. And it's very interesting as you all sit there, there are some people who are taking the space that was allocated to them, and there are some people who are traveling very much in economy <laughs> rather than business class. And as we sit there this evening, <laughs> I'd like us to think about sitting in business class. Now, I know that some of you are a little bit cheek by jowl uh, in that space, but as you sit there, and let's all understand that we're all here with that shared um, uh, permission, have a sense that you're going to be nice and wide across your chest, wide across your back, which won't roll your shoulders either forward or back, but it just starts to give you a sense that if you were wearing a banner, none of it would be creased at the front and it wouldn't be stretched. You know, the number on your jersey wouldn't be stretched. It's just sitting there comfortably, allowing a little bit of space between your elbows and your rib cage. And I'd like you to start to think as you sit there, and then we'll do it standing as well, because, you know, sometimes you have to stand up in life. I'd like you to think about this thing that's balanced on the top of your spine. And I'd like you to just take the tip of your nose, and we're just going to start to draw, you might think of it as an infinity symbol or a figure eight. It's just a very small movement that just starts to give you a sense of this thing this four plus kilo, think of a big sack of taters sitting on the top of your spine there. And two tiny little bones and then a whole set of muscles that keep it where you want it to be. So what I'd like you to do when you feel like you found center is just start to bring your chin forward of center and we're going to count. So let's just count to five and see how your voice sounds to you when you bring your, you can immediately, and I'm sure Peter, my, my sound technician in the, in the corner, can hear the change in the resonance in my voice. Can you hear that as I come forward? So bring your, bring your head back to what feels comfortable and then start to bring it forward as you're counting to five. Just try that for yourselves now. Give it a go. One, two, three, four, five and bring your chin as far forward as you comfortably can. Now we're going to count to 10 as we go all the way back. So you'll end up with your chin uh, pulled in somewhat and the weight of your head behind your center. So try that. So we're here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Did you feel like five or six were pretty, pretty sweet? Pretty sweet spot? See if you can find that again. Just 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, oh yeah, but oh, bit of that. So stay in your five spot for me. 
stay in your five spots. So we've got some good breathing happening here. And then we've got this sack of taters on the top of your spine that we are supporting <coughs> predominantly with the bones. And then the muscles around it become the guide wires, not the tent poles themselves. So as soon as you start to take that huge weight forward or back, it's almost a bit of a French Revolution moment. You just, the body starts to feel like your head is falling off and starts to add all kinds of compensatory tension further down the system to deal with the fact that you are uh, not working efficiently. So I'll ask you to stand up, friends. And let's try that same thing. So take your weight forward, just, just have a bit of a chat. You might want to count to 10 or talk to the person next to you and say, I really don't like how this feels. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now is the winter of our discontent. Very, very discontent. No, I don't like that at all. And so start to bring it back and you may just say, one, two, three, four, five. Five, 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 five. And notice what starts to happen in your back. Yeah, notice how the back starts to feel. All of that system says something bad is happening with the control center. Bad things are happening. I must compensate. And the whole system starts to add unnecessary tension. So as you carry yourself through your day, and particularly as you start to think about heading towards a position in which you find your best voice. Just have a notice, just have a little bit of a, an inventory down from top to toe and notice if you can find any unnecessary tension. So are you clenching your teeth together, for example? Are you pressing your lips together? Are you furrowing your brow? Are you pressing your shoulders forward or back? And we do, we do. We fold, we hold, we compensate, we slouch. I don't know how it feels to you to stand with your feet about hip distance apart. Let's try that. So again, we're just going to take up this space that is available for us on this planet. There's plenty of room currently. So let's take that space. Let's have that sense that even if we're not standing like a, a rag doll, that you have a bit of space between your elbows and the sides of your ribs. You have an open feeling across your chest, an open feeling across your back. And you've got a little bit like a bobble doll. You've just got this nice, easy relationship with the control center up top. And as soon as you start to do that, all of the muscles that support that control center and also run in and around the larynx start to say, oh, well, I don't need to be holding up the control center, so what else would you like me to do now that I'm free? Oh, bit of vocal work, huzzah. So let's just, let's just do a little bit of work with the head and neck. Does anyone grind their teeth here? Yes, teeth grinders, yes. We're, there are hoodies available in the foyer afterwards. <laughs> it's a club, feel free to join it. I'm a lifelong member. So, tooth clencher. Teeth clencher, yeah. So does anyone, ooh, I'm sorry, I just hit my mic. Um, does anyone feel like they have a lot of jaw tension? Is anyone aware of that? So we're going to test that. We're going to see what's going on there. So what I'd like to do, we're actually going to work with the tongue a little bit. Your tongue, fortunately. It's going to be the, your tongue that you work with. And I'd like you to rest a finger on your chin for me. And we're going to do some tongue circles. And because I like to multitask, 
despite the evidence that it's impossible. I would like you to do a couple of things at once. You're going to do a little bit of humming. You're going to put uh, your tongue in circles around your mouth and you're going to move up and down your range. So let me, I know, ah, oh, complicated, straight off, 20 minutes in. It's just gotten a little intense, hasn't it? But let's try this. Oh, good, you're all doing it. I was hoping you'd be go-getting people. Very good. Yes. Just start to notice if that feels at all tense in your jaw. Does it feel tense in your tongue? Does it feel tense in your shoulders? I'm seeing some nods there. Notice how that feels. Are you having to resist a lot of side-to-side movement or can you move the tongue independently? Just keep that going and just notice for yourself what effort level you're needing to use yeah, to just get the tongue to do that exercise. Hmm. Are you starting to hate me a little bit? Just a little? All right. Here's where I invite you to be a little bit silly, but it's good for you as often silly things can be. We're going to do what I call a tongue waggle, which is just a... That's the invitation. Turn to the person next to you and you're going to have a gibberish conversation using just a bit of a tongue waggle. Oh, good. Oh, I like you very much. Good, have a seat, friends. You've, you've earned a rest. And as you sit there comfortably now, just say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Good. I'm going to ask you to now extend your tongue out. So let's go ahead and point it. So I don't want you to bring the tongue forward. We decided we didn't like the one place. We like the five place. So keep your head in the five place. But you're going to extend your tongue forward and you're going to say one, two, three, four, five as clearly as you possibly can with your tongue extended. I know. Welcome to the profession I have chosen for myself in the world. Yeah, so it's going to be a so it's not where you give up, but you're not giver operas. I can sense this. You're fighters, you're strivers, you're speakers. I love it. So as clear as you possibly can, counting to 10 with your tongue extended. As soon as you finish, as soon as you get to 10, pop the tongue back in the mouth to the quote unquote normal position. And then say one to 10 again, or a line of text. If anyone has a little bit of Shakespeare or like a little bit of, I don't know, T.S. Eliot, up their sleeve. Feel free to share it with the group. So as soon as you get, if you think, no, blank, mind blank, simply count to 10 again. So let's try this. You're, you're, you're up for it. I can sense it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Immediately starts to feel a little bit freer. Immediately you feel as though you're putting a little bit of extra care into the way that you speak without over-enunciating. 
And that you may, I don't know, I don't know your expectations coming this evening, but you may have expected a bit of a Henry Higgins kind of experience. Anyone? Yes? Aye, aye, aye. Yeah, and that's, it's kind of, it's really interesting actually these days because I trained um, in London 20 years ago, 21 years ago. I know, you wouldn't think it, uh, but yes, I've been doing this for a while. And even then, there were the beginnings of a move away from the idea that there is a standard way of speaking, which a lot of people find deeply frustrating. The number of times that I am asked, and I'm saying this carefully as I quote back. So, uh, Leith, um, right, so Leith, uh, what's the correct pronunciation of the word such and such? And you, you think, pronunciation, mm. um, let's take a step back, oh judgmental one. Uh, let me help you out there. So people like to know that they are speaking correctly. And people like to notice when others are not speaking correctly because it, it feels like a, just a momentary ground trap. Well, uh, have we changed harassment? Is it harassment? What is happening? I want to get back to being correct. So, um, but what's happening these days in speech training is that there is not one model. It used to be that Henry Higgins-like, you would need to um, learn a particular Australian accent or a particular British accent, or a particular American accent, to work professionally, to erase your regional accent or your class-identifying accent, to become a professional actor who probably spoke quite a lot like that and had a deep, rich, resonant tone, speaking what is referred to as received pronunciation. These days, you know, you can be from anywhere. And you can do Shakespeare, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter at all where you're from. You can just own it. You can communicate with your character and then communicate with your audience from your truth, not through a curtain of artificial acquired otherness. And so that's my passion these days. Taking every single individual actor who crosses my path and saying not don't erase where you're from, but think about where you're going. Who is your audience? And what is your character saying as they get there? Now, that may seem immediately applicable to actors, but what does it have to do with civilians, as I, I, term, I term them, people uh, who don't get up like mad people in lights and have microphones strapped to them and do this kind of gig? When you are communicating, you too have an audience. Always. We code switch when we speak. The way that I talk to my mother is not the way that I'm speaking to you this evening. <laughs> I'm from Brisbane, Queensland, and, um, and I, I feel like I just sort of established my vocal sort of um, home base with my mum at about the age of 18. And so, yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, it's going really well. Yeah, I think it's good. Yeah, um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, all right. And I immediately go broader. Yeah, I could swim in the pool, yeah, easily with this accent. Um, as soon as I start to talk about Queensland, I go back there. But as soon as I am Leith McPherson voice and dialect coach, my, my sense of self changes and my vocal identity switches. So where do you change in your life? Just have a think for a moment. The way that you speak to a particular audience, maybe you're a business audience as opposed to a personal audience, a particular friend, 
a particular family member. So you have these versions of you that are all still you, but require a bit of vocal flexibility. Does that resonate for people? You understand there are different versions of ourselves, but none of them need to be other than us. So the work that I'm um, inviting you to um, explore this evening is about not changing who you are, but adding different colors to your palette as you communicate. So as Australians, and oh my goodness, I know this is being recorded, but that's okay, I'll, I'll work with it. I had a research methods class today. I'm, I'm uh, doing a PhD at the moment. And we needed to go around as a group and read our abstract drafts. And it was bizarre. As someone who works in the theater department where people are, you know, naturally flamboyant, to hear people begin their abstract and read and possibly they may have gone up perhaps one or two semitones at, at some time, but they really just got through it for content and that's really all that they were doing. And these, these aren't sports people hot off the field trying to uh, yep, control the way that they're uh, uh, dealing with uh, the fact that they're trying to reoxygenate themselves and uh, just kind of you know, get through the fact that they've got a microphone in that. These are people who were sitting calmly as you are had the entire instrument available to them and focused purely on content. It was scary. I was frightened. I was frightened for the people that they will deliver their confirmation lecture to. I was frightened for the people in the room who are teachers. I was given the job of having to extract key principles from their delivery because they weren't handing them to me. I was the audience and I wasn't being taken care of. And in our society, we don't think about the spoken voice very much. I'm sensing there are some singers in the room this evening who probably spend a lot of their lives thinking about their singing voice. How much attention do you give to your speaking voice? And yet, when you meet someone, when you are interviewed, when you are flirting with someone, when you are instructing someone. The voice is your calling card. The speaking voice is your calling card. So how colorful is yours? What does it say? Have a think about the way that you use your voice when you're reading a story to kids. So colorful, right? I will never forget the way that my mum used to read me Winnie the Pooh. I will never forget that. It was just, and you know, she's a librarian. She's not a performer. She, but she put effort and care into the way that she told me those stories and brought such richness to the delivery. I can still hear it years later. <laughs> so the care that we, we offer to children when we communicate with them, why don't we do that as grown-ups? When we grow up, we put away childish things. But the voice is the way to... Take care of your audience. The tune is the way to take care of your audience. And now, it's time for you to do a little bit of work on tune. I'll ask you to stand up a little bit for me. Stand up. You've been sitting, you've had, you've had a couple of minutes there. All right. So let's just loosen up a little bit. You may have gotten a little bit stiff while you were sitting there. We're having a bit of a roll of our shoulders. We're loosening our jaws. There's a bit of space between your back teeth 
And we're breathing. Is anyone not breathing? Is anyone sort of, you know, on a breathing fast or something? Some kind of religious festival that requires no breathing after sunset or no <laughs> inhalation, just exhalation. So, no, all good. Breathers, in and out, both kinds. I'm loving it. So have a little bit of a roll and just have a little bit of an F or an S. Have a gentle figure eight or an infinity symbol. Let's just make sure that our sack of taters is sitting where we want it to be. We're in the five position. And now we're going to go to a zzz. And I'd like you to imagine, look at this beautiful room that we're in. What a gorgeous space to be in. I'd like you to imagine that in your hand is a bee, a, a stingless bee. You're fine. Yeah, no allergies, all, all fine, yes? So a lovely bumblebee, a nice fat bumblebee that's going to take off from your hand and fly around the space. And this is intended to help you to open up your range a little bit. So it's just a little visualization to get you to be a bit more playful than you might be if you had your adult pants on, you know? So let the bee take off and it's gonna go zzzz, and watch it fly around the space. Does it do loop-the-loops? <laughs> Does it pause for a moment? And then take off again? Oh, you're very good. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, we like these people, don't we, Peter? Oh, yes, very good. And it comes back to your hand. Good. And pop it away. Pop it away. Just put it back in its little hidey hole. Very nice. Good. So now I'd like you to turn to the person next to you. And we're going to immediately apply that to a bit of text. So we're going to say, I can't believe you did that. 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 So a conversation in consisting entirely of, I can't believe you did that. Off you go. I can't believe you did that. 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 Good, lovely. Very good. Okay, thank you. Lovely. So how often do you put that level of, of tune into the way that you speak to people? Often? Do people feel like that's, yes, it's natural for me to go all over the place. My bumblebee is very active. Or do people think, no, this is really weird? No, I like it back at home base. I'm not appreciating this, Leith. We've got a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a spread across the room where some people think, yes, that's absolutely what I do. Oh, yes, very good. And other people think, no, I'm good, I'm fine. Yep, don't make me move. I'm good. Yep, done. Okay. Yeah? Right, good. So there's a little bit of a stretch, but if you think about the way that you communicate to children, bring a little bit of that into the way that you communicate to anyone who needs to extract information from you. Take care of them a little bit. So I'd like you to put one foot forward and one foot back. Please feel free to spread out. There is beaucoup de room, which is French for lots of room. Yes, in this space. So if you're feeling a little stuck in the middle, please feel free to spread out a little bit because I would like to do it. This is as physical as we get, just in case we try to chart the rest of the session. And I'd like you to have one foot forward and one foot back and you're going to take a bit of a net, 
Okay, so it's a, oh, I don't know, a bit of a fishing net, perhaps. You're going to just have a sense of casting it out a little bit. So just cast that net, add your breath to that. Oh, I'm starting to hear a bit of exhalation. Oh, it's marvellous work. Nice, easy net. Either side, all good. Very good, lovely. Let's do a little bit of call and response. So I'll do something, you do it back to me. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey. Hey. Nice to see you. How are you? Good, well done. Good, good, good. So that's all well and good. You're fabulous. I like you. I'm taking all of you home. I hope you had no more plans. Um, yes, good. Um, you'll meet my dog. She's great. Um, so, but we don't tend to do that in Australian. In Australian, yes. I treat that like a language. Yes. What we do is this. My name is Lee. So good to see you. I went to a movie. I thought it was. I think you're incredible. You're so. And we don't finish our thoughts. We cast the net. We don't care how it lands. We don't care if it lands. We do drive-by vocal work in Australia. Also, anyone from a British background, you do absolutely the same thing. (laughs) Totally the same. Yeah? So I want you to care not just about the release of the net, but I'd like you to... uh, I don't know why, but I feel like we're catching pigeons. Um, we've got some pigeons. We will be absolutely fine with the pigeons. They're not going in a pie. It's good. But I'd like you to cast a net. I know it's tricky for the people at the back. You'll have to imagine it with your mind powers. But I'd like you to take your net, cast it. And the phrase we're going to use is, my name is, and then probably your name, but possibly Linth. <laughs> yes? So uh, you're going to cast it. My name is Leith. And just have a sense of it landing. Just try that a couple of times. My name is Leith. My name is Leith. My name is Leith. Good. So I'd like you to look at someone across the space. Just point to someone who's further away from you. Look at someone over there. Yes, a bit further away. Now you're going to cast your net a little bit further. And we're going to do that with a little bit of nya, 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 nya. So let's just start to, we'll do that in a moment. But first of all, I'd like you to just get a little bit nya, 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 nya. Start to make a little bit of a nya, nya, nya. So we're going to get a little bit petulant. We're going to get a little bit annoyed. And we're going to say, Mom, no. (laughs) Try it. Mom, no. That's mine. That's mine. Look at someone. It doesn't matter who they are. You'll never see them again. And say, Oh, no. Oh, stop it. It's not yours, it's mine. It's not yours, it's mine. So kids learn this very quickly. Kids are masters of acoustics. Children know how to cut through a busy shopping centre and not hurt themselves vocally. And what they're using is resonance. So they're not... It's not yours, it's mine. Mother, stop it. Yes? Mom! I mean, in Australian, oh, we can, oh, can we? Yes, I think we can. Let's try and peel the paint. There's no paint. Off these walls and say, Feel 
free to be annoying right now. It's not yours, it's mine. Turn to somebody and say, it's not yours, it's mine. It's not yours, it's mine. Good, rest a hand on your chest, but we're still going to say, it's not yours, it's mine. Now start to feel like you may just add a little bit of buzz in your chest to that. So we're going to go from So it's going to be it's not yours it's mine. It's not yours it's mine. It's not yours it's mine with the sense that like a javelin you are throwing that thought through the air. Okay? So let's go It's not yours it's mine. It's not yours it's mine. It's not yours it's mine. It's not yours, it's mine. It's not yours, it's mine. Yeah, don't immediately go back to the base though. Don't suddenly, I'm now, I'm back here. We're still uh, giving that ourselves that idea that we're, Mom, hey, it's not yours, it's mine, Mom. Okay, Mother's Day, let's do it. Yes, it's not yours, it's mine, Mom. It's really good to see you. So now let's go back to casting our net. We're going to cast it across the room, across this vast space. And let it land on someone else. And you're going to say, my name is Leith, but with no sense that you're having to push that at all because you're going to use a little bit of nya in it, just a little bit of a whinge, a little bit of a whinge in the voice. Let's try that. My name is Leith. My name is Leith. Now, just watch the, the back of your neck with that. So what often tends to happen is that we get very excited, yes? And suddenly we're doing a bit of shot put. Yeah, we're pushing forward from the neck. But we're actually using a javelin here rather than a shot put. So watch that your chin doesn't get super excited and follow the course of your line. So let's just keep the back of the neck beautifully long. We're, in, we're still in five here. Sacitators, nice and safe. We're going back, taking a breath. It's not yours, it's mine. My name is Leith. It's so good to see you. I'm so glad we're here. I can't believe you did that. Now is the winter of our discontent. Beautiful, you're magnificent. Have a seat. So let's start to talk about clarity. Yes, that's not yours, it's mine. Good. <laughs> Method actors in the front row, I love it. Very good. So clarity, which takes us close to Henry Higgins' Annunciation Land, doesn't it? But again, it's just about the care of the audience. To whom are you speaking? And this is where I would like you to think about something, um, both as the speaker and as the listener. I offer you the idea, which I think is quite good, which is that language is a physical act. Language has an action behind it and consequences after it. So as you speak to someone, there's a stranger in the front row, but I'm going to tell you, I love you. And I stay in that space. I cast my net over to that listener and I care enough to hang around for the consequences. So my action is to share, my action might be to convince, my action might be to illuminate or inspire, or it may be to command. I don't know, I don't know you. 
yeah? But at the moment, it's to share this, I, I didn't realize it before, perfect stranger, but I love you. And I stay in that space because I care not only about the message I'm sending, but I care that it is well received. I invest in the listener, not just in the speaker. And that takes me away from anxiety as a speaker. When we are totally focused on ourselves, we're constantly self-monitoring. We may be over-breathing. We may, we may be fumbling around with the way, how do, how do I say this? What, what do I do? What's the proper way of speaking? And it becomes full of static. But to simply think about what is your clear task in that moment? To educate, to share, to inspire, to change, to instruct, to inform, to reassure. Think about your task and then make sure that you are active to and with the listener. And as a dialect coach and a voice coach, and I know that some of my colleagues are in the room tonight as well, the thing that often happens is that because of that casting the net, we, we think about how, yeah, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to send her a dozen roses. Yes, I am. And not how they're received, the moment of the, the interaction being completed and then the circle coming back to you. So when you are speaking to someone, if an actor is caring about the audience, I can put my pen down as a voice coach. I'm not making um, copious notes about clarity because they care about the person in the back row. They care that it is shared with the entire audience. I have a story to tell you and I care about my story and I'm not adding static to that system. I've, I've done a little bit of warming up to move away from tram me. I've done a little bit of work to just remind my, my imagination that I have an extraordinary instrument contained within my body. Think of the incredible instruments that come into this building. Ooh, yummy. And you have one inside you that is perhaps the most remarkable of all. How often do you open the case and play with it? Just for fun. How often do you get it out and start to think about, I, I might try a new piece today. I might allow myself to explore something different with this extraordinary instrument I have inside. And when I do, I'm going to play for someone. I'm going to play with someone. I'm going to play to someone. And I'm going to do a little bit of warm-up, as you do with any instrument. Maybe I'll do a few scales, as you do with any instrument, except drums. <laughs> there would be other instruments, but I'm moving on. Do you care enough to warm it up? Do you care enough to play? Do you care enough to share? If not, why not? Who's stopping you? Who's stopping you from playing this extraordinary instrument as often as it comes to your mind? this thing that you have inside you, which can be all things, tell all kinds of stories to all kinds of people, can read a room, can connect to your easeful sense of self, the breath that you have when you are calm and clear, the breath that you have when you are connected to an action on the other. So we all know how it feels to be told something awful. 
That is a physical act upon you. Language is a physical act. And when you care about the action and you care about its reception, you'll take care of clarity. But for the time being, I'll ask you to stand one more time. One more time. And let's do a little bit of articulation, because I know you're eager to do it. Let's just start to get a bit playful with some speech sounds. So I'd like you to just let your hands start to flick things out into the space, and we're going to say, pa-pa-pa-pa. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Ta-ta-ta-ta. Da-da-da-da. Ka-ka-ka-ka. Ga-ga-ga-ga. Pa-pa-pa-pa. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Ta-ta-ta-ta. Da-da-da-da. Ka-ka-ka-ka. Ga-ga-ga-ga. Cha-cha-cha-cha. La-la-la-la. Ja-ja-ja-ja. Ba-ba-ba-ba. Mwa-mwa-mwa-mwa. Mwa-mwa-mwa-mwa. Za-za-za-za. La-la-la-la. Good. So just starting to get your tongue moving, not feeling like it sits in your mouth and is randomly deployed, but actually starts to become a physical act for you. The enjoyment of language. What's your favorite word to say? Can we hear some favorite words? Plethora. Let's all play with plethora for a moment, everyone. Plethora. How does that feel in the mouth? Plethora. Any other favorite words? Oh, check it out. Everyone, haberdashery. Haberdashery. I spent a little bit of time in Germany, and one of my favorite words, which I, which I acquired as a swear word, but it's not. It's fine. Kugelschreiber. Uh, Kugelschreiber which means ballpoint pen. But you wouldn't think that, would you? Let's try, turn to the person next to you and say, Kugelschreiber. Kugelschreiber. The other one I loved in German, German just has everything going for it, was Schnabeltasse, which means dribble glass. You know, like a baby has? Yep, Schnabeltasse. Feels good to say. Can I have another favorite word? Oh, Zanzibar. Ooh. And can we savor those zzzz sounds for a moment? Zanzibar. I'm going to Zanzibar. Cast your net and say to someone, I'm going to Zanzibar. To work on haberdashery. A plethora of haberdashery. Schnabeltasse. Good, have a seat, have a seat. So you can do little exercises to wake up your mouth. You can do little exercises that excite you. This comes up, the idea of language being a physical act is also about the pleasure of language for the speaker. And the best audiobook speakers, if you can think of, if there are any people who listen to podcasts or audiobooks, I'm imagining that quite a few people here do, given that you're at this event about spoken voice, are people who take pleasure in the speaking of the words, the actual act of sharing this language. So when Shakespeare wants um, Paulina in A Winter's Tale to, um, to have the physical action of eviscerating the king, she is given the line, what studied torments tyrant hast for me. It's a physical act. She's not able to cross the stage. She's not able to physically be violent to the king. 
So Shakespeare gives her the only weapon she has, which is her voice and this language. When Ophelia is completely bereft, no spoilers, but bad things happen, okay, in Hamlet. It's, I, I won't say a thing, it ends very happily. Mm. But when she feels that, that the ground has gone from underneath her feet, Shakespeare gives her the line, oh, what a noble mind is here o'erthrown. Oh, oh, he gives her a groan wrapped in a line of text. And it should affect the listener as much as it affects the speaker. And it should affect the speaker as much as it affects the listener. So taking care with your own vocal pleasure, what John Barton called relishing language, verbal relish. So how are you devouring language as a pleasurable act? If not, you're missing out on something. <laughs> yes, you might be having the sort of fast food version of speech. And I'd like you to have the 12 course degustation menu as you speak. So putting, putting it all together, friends, let's, have, let's take ourselves back to the breath that we have when we're calm. So we're not rising above sea level. We're simply swimming comfortably. We're checking that our shoulders are loose and free. We're checking this sack of taters on our head and not taking it forward or back. We're just sitting comfortably in our five. We're starting to think about this extraordinary, extraordinary, movable feast in our mouths. We're caring about the other, the action, the audience, the clarity of our intention and the care about how it's received. We're sharing our thoughts to the end of the line, all the way to the recipient and beyond. And we're playing with tune to pull out keywords. People won't remember everything you say. What are the most important aspects? Give them a little gold coin. Give them a little sprinkle of glitter and serve them to your audience. So if I were going to tell you how to get from here to my place, I could do it really flat and just sort of, yeah, you'll head out here, you're going to turn uh, right onto, um, uh, I suppose that's uh, Sturt Street out there, and then you, you'll turn left from there. And I'm, making, I'm giving you the task of extracting the key information from that. If I start to place those ideas on different shelves using my tune, you will absorb them so much more easily. So you go out of here and you turn right. You're on Sturt Street. Then you would take a left, followed by an immediate right. And immediately your brain says, yeah, I got it. Yeah, no problem. And doesn't have that extra task of needing to extract the information you were trying to give me in the first place. Putting all of those things together helps you become a storyteller, playing your instrument for your audience with care, but also with a sense of self-respect. If it's worth saying, it's worth hearing. I'm going to use our last few minutes to see if there are any questions or comments from the audience. If you do have any questions or comments, we have a microphone which we'd like you to use for the purposes of the podcast audience, the people who live in the future, where hopefully the world is a peaceful place. Does anyone have any questions or comments to finish us up this evening? Yes, over here. So there's a microphone coming your way, sir. And when it arrives, excitement, excitement. Hello. Hello. 
Um, I really love that idea of caring for the audience or the listener. And I'm wondering, does it, does it involve sort of eye contact or speaking with pauses so that you're seeing whether you're being understood or what does it involve caring? Yes, yes. Fa thank you so much for that question. Um, body, um, body language is incredibly important. That's a whole other, oh my loves, I'll have to come back. It's a whole other uh, lecture and workshop. <laughs> but the idea of pause is incredibly important. So if you're playing with your child and you're feeding, you know, you're doing the aeroplane, you don't just shovel that food in regardless of whether or not the child has swallowed. <laughs> you give them a moment, you put in the mouthful, you extract the spoon as best you can, and you give them a moment to deal with what you've given them. We need to do that with our ideas. If you don't give them the moment to process or to swallow, they'll take it. They'll do a sort of autosave, where they just, um, excuse me for a moment while I just go, oh, okay. And then they'll come back to you. So you'll lose the next thought if you don't give them a moment to process or absorb or receive that first thought. Pause, fantastic. Any other questions or comments? We have a couple, a couple more here. Uh, I think this, this person here, thank you. My question is, uh, seems to me that there are more and more um, productions, typically television productions, in which usually involving um, criminals, um, in which it is harder and harder to actually understand the communication because mm. it is so, it doesn't, the net stays in the mm. midair yes. and there's so much mumble yes. and lack of articulation and um, mm. I just wondered if you had a comment about that oh. or if you agreed or not. It oh, I absolutely agree. I've, I've worked on film sets where the, um, the, an actor's fellow actor can't hear them. They're doing an intimate scene, they're four feet away, and your fellow actor, the person who's reacting to your lines, can't hear you. And it's generally fear-based. It comes from the actor not really knowing quite what they're trying to do with that line, so they retreat. Having said that, I'm watching a show at the moment, I don't know if I'm supposed to say, well, it's not the ABC, that's fine, Billions. I'm watching a show called Billions, and there's uh, an actor on there called Paul Giamatti, and I can just, I feel like sending them an email to the sound crew who are desperately trying to record someone who's really kind of speaking like that. And I know he's not on voice. I know his fellow. I know his fellow actors can't hear him, and it's generally fear-based. And it's also a little bit of what we were doing tonight. Most um, film and TV actors have not done any kind of training, so if they've never learned that you are you are still connected and authentic when you are caring about your audience then they will never have any reason to project, even to their fellow actor. They haven't learned the safety that is available to them as they start to use their voices. But presumably the directors and producers haven't learned that either because they let it be filmed. Yes, yes, but, but acting is such a delicate... Oh, this is a whole other topic too. <laughs> such a delicate process that you don't want to freak out the actor in the moment. You want them to be as authentic as, as they possibly can. You want to get the best performance. And so frequently we will, quote unquote, fix it in post, where if we can't up the levels from what was recorded on the day, we will get the actors to re-record their dialogue. So 
there are a couple of contingencies for that if it's, if it's terrible. Um, but yes, it's, I can't be everywhere. <laughs> I can try, but I can't be everywhere. We have to start to wrap up. There were two more, if I could take this, this comment or question here and then this person behind. I just ha want to thank you very much. Um, it's sharing a passion and, <laughs> and it's been um, just very, I've, I've just loved tonight. Thank you. Thank you. And there should be more of it. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. Oh, cool. I think I've been quite controlled, though. I've acted like a fairly normal person, haven't I? <laughs> yes, you're still all coming home with me, right? There's the other one as well. Yes. I'm a little bit like the big island of Hawaii at yes. the moment. I just, every, every now and then, I shoot lava 200 feet into the air. But most of the time, I seem quite dormant. And this person at the back, thank you very much for that. Thank you. That's very kind. Hello, Leith. Hello. My name's Antoinette. Hello. Um, I'm just referring. I'm just referring back to when you said there's many aspects to of to the way we speak. Yeah. Like we speak differently in certain situations. Yes. And just gathering from what you've we've learnt tonight, I yeah. suppose is it that we've just got to be self-aware all the time of of how how relaxed we are and and how we're speaking. Yeah. So that we don't. I'm not, so that we're not all over the shop? Or is that what you mean? I think it's actually, um, thank you for that question. I think it's actually really about what kind of audience are you working with? I think if you care more about your audience than yourself, you're home and hosed. Because you'll be clear, you'll connect to your thoughts, you have something to say, you'll care about how it's received. And so everything starts to back it up once you have an idea of what your target is what your action is on that target. So it, it doesn't require you to be hugely self-critical, um, uh, um, but it, it does require a little bit of um, support from yourself to say, yes, I care enough about what I have to say to, well, something that comes up when I'm doing American dialect work that, that I use as a mnemonic for people because of that habit, that Australian habit of tossing the net and then letting it drop. And what I say to them is that Americans don't have to repeat themselves. You don't find yourself often in a conversation with an American speaker, generalizations, generalizations, where you have to say, I'm sorry, I didn't get it. Sorry, what did you say? You get it. They, they exist in that, like you were saying before, they exist in that space where they are covering the space to the listener and then some. It's partly to do with resonance, but it's also a sense of taking their space. You can, again, this is a generalization, but you can pass the microphone to any American anywhere in the world and they will be ready to speak. We need a little bit of a run up, a little bit of a ramp and a very good reason <laughs> to speak into a microphone. So I'm hoping that if you just take your space a little bit more, if you just have a sense that your voice is easeful and there to be used and shared, that it will open itself up to you as an instrument that you can play with care and pleasure. And I think on that note, we will end. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs>